everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Today on the show, we hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving and also more Dennis Rader, the BTK killer today. We're just powering through these holidays. Damn straight, man. Off to Christmas and Hanukkah we go. For those of you who listened to the first episode, we're, we're right about at his mid-teens right now. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back because that'll make a lot more sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> they do build on each other. They do build on each other. So we're talking about Dennis Rader, uh, the BTK killer. And we're right around his mid-teen years, which uh, we left off in the last episode discussing that he had learned by this age that painful experiences during childhood became a sense of comfort for him. And what we know about him as a killer is his, his fantasies were around binding and torturing and killing mm-hmm. folks. He, he gave he himself He does seem that. to, like so far, uh-huh. he does seem to have a ton of self-knowledge. He does. And an ability to self-reflect, which actually is the reason why this book could happen in the interview that yeah. you know, you've been pulling from this book. Um, Confession of a Serial Killer, The Untold Story of Dennis Rader Great. by Catherine Ramsland. Yeah, you've been pulling from this book for the first episode and, and continually, and I think that's why we can get so much from it because yeah. he seems to be knowledgeable about himself. And I think because he is a psychopath yes. and he's so removed emotionally, and we've talked about, again, sociopathy and narcissism and psychopathy being different things, this is where psychopaths can actually be really helpful to the field because Mm -hmm. they're like I can see myself in third person and have this conversation yeah and also being self-obsessed really helps being self-obsessed and not obsessed with what people think about him yeah the no the no judgment piece Mm -hmm. and also the no empathy with others piece yeah it makes a recipe for we get to a really deep, more deeply understand. For I, sure. Which I value. Yeah. So he, he he gives us a lot in this book that I'm using to help gotcha. guide. So by his mid-teens, he's starting to experience more sexual dreams. He knew no other young man was having. He knew at that point that he'd become a killer. As an adolescent, he fantasized of uh, tying up and raping girls. So starts with the, the little animals to larger animals to fantasies to stalking to you know being a peeping tom all of these things and now he's he's actually having fantasies of tying up and raping girls his age around this time he's also starting he's also he has already been like i mentioned killing animals like dogs and cats torturing them hanging them he was really good at hiding his dark side and he came across to the outside world as, as a very polite and shy young man. And when you're watching the interviews with him as an adult, post-adjudicative, past con- post-conviction, all of that, even the way he talks about himself, he's very calm. He's, I mean, he's clearly disturbed, mm-hmm. right? You, you know he's not normal. Mm-hmm. Or you know he's pathological, I should say. But, you, but there's also this real calm ease about him because he's om- it's almost like he's talking about someone else. Well, and that's that thing that they talk about in the brain, right? Where yeah. psychopaths will watch or talk about torture or awful things or watch really horrible movies and their brains just stay. Yeah. No fear response. No fear response. Yeah. So he, you know, like I mentioned at the end of the last episode, this is what he, I think mastered, which was compartmentalizing his life because he knew how pathological he was. And I'll talk about this in more detail in a bit here, how, what lengths he went to, to hide his life from, you know, cause he does get married, have children, all that. 
another really bizarre thing about him is he does have this magical thinking, delusional component to him. And he actually believed that cats had mystical powers and should be put down. Yeah. So that was his justification. I've heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor cats. Yeah, I know. Well, they get all the hate. So he feels like he, this became a growing feeling after his father's cousin, his father's cousin's wife, excuse me, Betty was her name, was talking about cats one day. And she shared how she also believed that cats were evil and needed to be put down, which we hear people, I had heard someone say that two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She, she would share stories about drowning them. That's a fun family discussion. No. So he believed that her stories contributed to seeing cats as bondage victims as well and admitting, yeah, I drowned a cat or two. Uh, Which, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in addition to other animals on the farm, Raider had a chicken house. And after the family no longer had chickens, this would be the place he would go to entertain his dark fantasies. So the, the, the chicken house ended up, once it was emptied out, nobody would go in there. That became his cave. That would be where he would go and he would rehearse and things would get really dark. So this is straight out of the book. Dad was a hard worker and good provider. As the years came and went, he laid out a big garden, built a chicken house, raised chickens, made improvements to the land and house, and built a carport for remodeling the garage. My other two brothers, Paul and Billy, and I slept in the same bedroom, and I shared a bed with Paul. Dad or Mom would tuck us in, and together we say a nightly prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Dad maintained a small garden, and we added a well to water the garden and yard. We also had a big horse or cattle water tank. Later, I would at times go out to the tank alone to cool off, bind myself, and think sexually thoughts. Think sexually thoughts. This is literally his quote. I'm not misspeaking here. Sometimes I would tie my hands and ankles to achieve a climax. Dad's cousin Bob moved near us with his wife Betty. We spent a lot of time at their place as they did at ours. Mom and Betty took turns taking care of us. In a way, besides the Riverview moms, Betty became my second mom. She loved poetry and read all the time. She'd rather read than do anything else. It was from her reading her poetry books that the seed to write poetry was planted. She was also very good with word puzzles. She hated cats. She would tell stories of drowning cats and gunny sacks at her farm. Like me, she thought they held a secret mystical power, an evil that had to be put down. Her stories have influenced me to seek them out as bondage victims. I did drown a cat or two in conjunction with this little farmhouse out back and this woman, again, here come these fantasies. They start to grow and grow and grow. And in a way he kind of was able to justify what he was doing. So these erotic attachments start to form. Um, As he gets older, he starts to fantasize about being what he called a lone wolf. Cook's barn was a farm near his home where he would go to be alone. Like I was talking about, he would play cowboys and Indians and he would enjoy being tied up by his peers He says, I have fond memories of barns, silos, and cisterns. Whenever I would enter the silo, I would feel a tightness in the groin area or neck hair feeling. I enjoyed the feeling of being tied up. The kids were playing cowboys and Indians. The prisoner loaded up in the silo. They played rough at times. Strange feeling to be hogtied and at the bottom of the pit, so helpless. I was scared, but something felt good. The one who holds power over in life and death is in charge. And that becomes the motto of his work. Absolutely. So it's, much. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's so, 
when you put it all together like this, right? Because from last week we had the sex, religion, bondage, femininity cluster mm-hmm. that then is piled on, you know, then there's a humiliation and shame around it. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of solidifies the glue yeah. around it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then now we've got this delusion, isolation, fantasies. It's all just sort of coming together and laying all of that groundwork and it makes it so clear and I'm sure his murders and and what we learn about what he enacted upon humans is going to simply a further explanation of what we already know. You know, you can almost predict what it is, right? That's right. In fact, that's exactly right. And his first family murder, which I'll get to in it, possibly in this episode, maybe next episode is he would get someone very close to death and then release it for them Mm -hmm. to get a couple more breaths and then take them out. Right. Which in a healthy BDSM relationship is a piece of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Only this was to kill them, to kill them. (laughs) So the power over life and death, by the way. Yes, (laughs) obviously. Yeah. The, the one who holds power over life and death is in charge, as he said. So as he gets older, his growing fantasies become deviant, and sexual, there's a deviant and sexual arousal pattern that included not only killing, but also sexually degrading before he killed. And this plays out in his first murders as well. He would read up on serial killers to understand himself. He knew what to do to avoid apprehension. So again, like Shannon and I keep emphasizing, there's so much reflection, not in like a deep, meaningful, I need to change kind of way, but he really understood who who he was and what he was capable of and what he needed to do to keep that secret, a secret and separate. When he was 12 or 13, he says he remembers a story about a young man killing his girlfriend. I believe he strangled her. When I heard it, I was sexually aroused. This was the first sex story or the way I perceived it. He killed her by stuffing leaves down her throat and strangled her. Rader read that in his grandmother's red book, which he believed had some quote unquote racy articles. This is why he believed he began to seek out crime thrillers and true detective magazines like our buddy Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. I liked the ones with the girl in trouble on the cover. His parents never talked to him about sex and he didn't understand anything outside of what his father told him, which was to never lay down on the couch with a little girl. That's what his father told him about sex. Well, okay. Right. So what does a teenager do? Everything you tell them to do, they do the opposite. Yeah. Now he's real curious. I know. Ugh. Oh, dad. You're right. He graduates from Wichita Heights uh, High School in 1963. He spends the next two years working odd jobs before enrolling at Kansas Wesleyan College in Salina. However, he only ends up two semesters in college before he drops out and joins the Air Force in the summer of 1966. At Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, he underwent basic training and was removed to to Okinawa in 1968 after moving across two other bases. So there doesn't appear to be anything eventful from his time in active duty. Um, he did reach the rank of sergeant before leaving the military. In BTK Unholy Messenger, The Life and Crimes of the BTK Serial Killer, Stephen Singular writes that, quote, During four years in the military, he was a fine soldier and earned a number of awards, including the National Defense Service Medal, the Small Arms Expert Markmanship Ribbon, and the Air Force Good Conduct Medal. He was a sergeant when honorably discharged in 1970. Mm. So this speaks to 
his organization, his level of impulse control, maybe in some ways channeling because he's, he's in the military at that time. Also there were fewer women. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a victim pool. He was isolating from his victim pool. He was iso- like on purpose almost. It's kind of like the religion in the last episode, trying Agreed. to have this a new, this different identity, like striving to find the health inside of himself. Agreed. And Weird. I, and I think that this also goes to show you how he can go periods of time and hone in on something and channeling it in a way that, uh, because he was a boy scout and he was all these right. other things. He had the skill set already. It's almost like he, wanted to do that i mean it it wasn't mindfully necessarily or consciously doing it necessarily i mean i don't know but at the time because this is all reflection i think on his part probably and i but i I, it's like it's almost like it's like a restorative process for him or a deprivation which he also loved exactly that's that makes even more sense it's like his way to be uh his way to control his impulses which would have caused him pain which would also have been enjoyable that's right that makes perfect sense we're putting it together to me makes perfect sense to me so according to crimemagazine.com, Raider worked at the Coleman Camping Supplies Factory in Wichita in the early 70s. There he met friendly conservative Christ- Christian Paula Dietz, conservative Christian Paula Dietz, excuse me. They wed on May 22nd, 1971 when Raider was 26 and Dietz 23. She was raised in a religious household by devout parents and her father was an engineer while her mother worked as a librarian very conservative house which is how he also grew up he just sexualized everything around him and he you know a lot of shame and guilt around sex and things so he attends butler county community college located in el dorado where he earns a ba in electronics in 1973 Uh, he enrolls at wichita state university and graduates in 1979 with a ba in administration of justice he hoped that by marrying Paula, this would cause his secret, bizarre yearnings to dissipate. He married her to see, like, maybe I can get my life straight. It's like when people have a baby to save a marriage. You know, it's just like a Hail Mary. He thought his secrets might be comparable to the wild oats young men often sow before settling down into married life. So he hoped, you know, maybe if I get married, I just had a crazy time in my life, and this is just, this will be over now mm. that I marry her. He says the love of a good woman and the security of marriage could possibly heal him. So many of them yeah, think <laughs> right? that or want that or I'm not sure. I also think it Try is, it on. it's also a great ruse because if he has this family life over here, then yes. people just aren't going to question. Yeah. Right? And sometimes it looks like they do that mindfully or consciously like I'm going to set up my life and have a wife and stuff so I can carry on doing what I want to do and sometimes it looks like I mean sometimes it looks like a manipulation and sometimes it it happens because of relational needs that are that are on our dialectic with the compulsion and all of that like I don't know I obviously don't know but it can look either way you can kind of characterize it as a manipulation or as some kind of deeper need that of course then gets fucked up because the compulsion is too much right all that but right I don't know I don't know either he's he's this is what makes him so unique too I think to some of the others we've talked about sure so he joins Christ Lutheran Church um attending regularly Mm-hmm. He and Paula are working as church sponsors. He's like deeply invested 
in being part of the church community. So despite being busy with work and marriage and church, um, these preoccupations are not going away the way that he really hoped they would. Uh, he tried praying more. He tried going to church more. He did everything he could to be relieved of them. But like we know, when we work so hard against something, what do they do? Not only do they persist, they intensify because it's like you're trying so hard to not have them. Yeah, repression is yeah. incredibly hard. Yeah, and that's what he was doing. Yeah. So he starts to read He's like, okay, well, I got to get these out some way. So mm-hmm. he starts to become fascinated by Jack the, Jack the Ripper. Okay. Right? So this Much like we did, Kathy, at a young that's age. That's right. Just saying. <laughs> that's right. So if you're unfamiliar with Jack the Ripper, he murdered and mutilated prostitutes in London in 1888 and had taunted police through letters and had never really been caught. So Raider believed that Jack the Ripper must have been someone like himself who blended in well. Okay. So he really admired, okay, well, I'm going to have these preoccupations. They're not going away. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to go a different route. Maybe I just need to learn how to split this life because mm-hmm. it's not going to go away and the more that I fight it. So maybe I just continue to do that, but I find a way to hide, hide it. Mm-hmm. So he gave the thoughts and impulses that he, that bothered him, plagued him, whatever a name, and he called it Factor X or Rex. That's okay. why he coded it. Okay. Alrighty. He loves the codes that BTK. Yeah. And he would draw Rex as a devilish little frog, which is kind of interesting because the frog I think was the, or maybe it was a turtle was the first thing he killed. So occasionally he'd return to his childhood home where his parents still lived. And it wasn't really to visit them, but to sneak down into the basement. And this is where we first start to hear of um, he dressing up mm. in women's clothing. So he would strip naked. He would just literally go to visit the house, go down to the basement for hours by himself, strip naked, dress in women's clothing. He would wrap a cord around his neck and stage a hanging of himself. Those of you that have seen Mindhunter, that opening episode, that's what he's caught doing, which is what it was so, it was done so creepy. If you haven't seen it, watch that. They do such a good job reenacting that. And what he would do is he'd photograph himself in these really odd positions, right? And he would sometimes even put on like a female mask or a towel over his face. If you look up images of the BTK killer, you can find photos like Polaroids of himself doing this. And it's terrifying. Um, I... It's terrifying. And so it seems possible that he hoped to purge himself of his fantasies by acting them out on himself. Which is also the religious pro- pro- prostration yes, the, that people like do the, that when they flogging their themselves back. that's often in horror mm-hmm. movies, you know, when we're dealing with the devil and possession and exorcism, they often put, you know, the priests flogging themselves from impure thoughts and all that, right. which was a practice back in the day. <clears throat> so yeah, that, that relates in my mind, that relates to that, that religious upbringing too, is that we, we have to punish ourselves for our dark thoughts. Yes. And he felt as if, I mean, religion would have taught him if he punishes himself enough and repents enough, he can get rid of, he yep. can cleanse himself of it. Oh. And in some way, like I'm just going to make myself the repeated victim. Yeah, that right? too. Right? Yeah, and and I'll just c- continue to act this out. Yeah, can I get off without another person? That's right. On this sort yep. of d- dynamic. Yeah, that makes but sense. But what ends up happening down the road, which we'll get to later on, is he would actually, re- once he would kill these women, 
he would go back and, you know, take belongings from the crime scene and dress himself back up in that and use like whether okay. it be the jewelry or the whatnot. Okay. Because we'll find out later, you know, in his house, mm-hmm. he had one room that the family was never allowed in and he kept so much that of was his all stuff of that, which of course reminds me of silence of the lambs. Yes. That must've been part of the Possibly. influence, influence mm-hmm. for Buffalo bill is right. That dressing yep. up and well, yep. with Buffalo bills, human skin and blah, blah, blah. Right. But this is a, a similar, he would keep the, so those were his trophies, trophies, like the keeping the clothes and jewelry and then dressing back up in them. Oh. Sometimes you actually revisit the, the, crime scene so sure. like there'd be a ditch right that he killed her in mm-hmm. he'd go back to that ditch he would reenact w- dress up ah. reenact and take photos of himself okay so he's just you know clear let's just say clearly the fantasies that he was trying to engage in here didn't work and ended up actually becoming those rehearsals for his future crimes yeah and i think your work in forensics and sexual predators would bear out this fantasy piece being a huge component of that subsect of predators Mm -hmm. right the fantasies and so um did you also find just in your work obviously this isn't a research study but in your work uh qualitatively did you find that there were uh predators who did this type of behavior revisiting scenes reenacting things that i don't know about thing? revisiting scenes but definitely reenacting and 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 the verbal fantasy so one of the things that's dangerous about having a psychopath in therapy why we don't put them in there we actually put them in more for like risk management mm-hmm. is because they will if if the clinician isn't skilled the clinician will think that they are trying to process trauma or tell their story they're actually getting off on it and um, it could be something that in, intensifies their impulses to act out. And with risk assessment, we really want to lower the risk factors and raise those protective factors. And when we allow those fantasies to be played out and constantly verbalized, mm-hmm. then we are um, in in trouble because they could be closer to recidivating or recommitting a crime. And what we're going to get into in the next episode will be his first murders and what will be interesting is up until this point we've talked about him being very to some way organized and uh, controlled yes but early on in his for his first murders um with the otero family which we'll talk about he was so sloppy and impulsive because it was like i'm finally getting to it yeah i can imagine that uh his sick and twisted excitement he made so many mistakes that it was the first He's going to make all these mistakes. It's like a, you know, I mean, it's probably the first time he ever killed an animal. The first time he ever did any of the things, it was sort of a mess. And so it was a mess. It it was a mess. And see, that's where people looking back at stuff on a, on a surface level might get the wrong idea. In other words, oh, he's messy and disorganized, all of that. But, but no, you're just seeing the, you're just seeing the beginner's yeah. Snafus. And that's what it was. He went back and he was like, oh my gosh, do I need to go back? Did I drop this? Da, 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 da. Right. So you start to see for the first time right. a fear response because it's about it's about his he he's trying to master this what art form or skill set or whatever. So we do know that psychopaths at times will have there will be a fear response there if it's something that could potentially get in their way of carrying out the next thing. That's the only time I think you'll ever really see it. He wasn't fearful that he killed someone. He was fearful that maybe he had made a mistake. 
Right. And maybe fearful about hu- humiliation and shame. Yep. In other words, if I, it's if I get caught or, you know, and it was so early in his, in his situation, for lack of a better word, it was so early in his career as a killer of humans that I imagine it was a lot of things. It was, I don't want to get caught. I don't, I don't want this to be representative of my work. He would have found humiliation and shame if that was where he got caught and that was the representation of Mm -hmm. his quote unquote work Mm -hmm. that he was ultimately most likely going to be proud of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. There's the perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's complex as always. Thank (laughs) you so much, Kathy. Uh, we will give you some more of BTK. We hope you are enjoying this series. Please, Follow us on all the social medias and consider becoming a patron on Patreon for us to support our work. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.